0: When should people actually be reaching out to a professional and um, and what do you say to those those men who are listening who are like, no, they're going to ruin my relationship, they're not going to fix it? When?
1: Well, sooner than you would otherwise, would be the answer to that.
0: That's Dr. George Blair West and you're listening to episode 20, part 1, Relationships of the Superdad Show. Today we are talking about a well-known condition in our world that affects almost half of all adults and just as many children. It's a condition that causes as much emotional pain as the most distressing problems that humans can experience. Yet currently there are no meaningful or widespread prevention strategies in place for it. That condition, if you haven't guessed already, is divorce, or the loss of a loving relationship in whatever form. The impact of divorce is far reaching, population studies tell us that around 80% of people who get divorced 5 years later are still as unhappy as they were before they got divorced. In part this is because divorce brings its own set of ongoing problems, particularly when children are involved. But today we are joined by a man on a mission to help parents and children prevent or deal with divorce, to become better parents and partners. He's a medical doctor, psychiatrist specializing in relationship therapy and author of several books, his latest being The Way of the Quest. He has a private practice in Indrapilly, Brisbane, Australia, where he has seen how much pain and heartache, especially in children, divorce causes and believes so much of it could have been prevented. In fact, I first came across Dr. George's work in a TED Talk titled Preventing Divorce. Top 3 Life Hacks for Singles. I've included a link to this talk in the show notes, or you can simply go to YouTube and search for Preventing Divorce, Top 3 Life Hacks for Singles, or Dr. George Blair West. So it's without further ado, it's with great pleasure that I welcome Dr. George Blair West to The Superdad Show. Welcome, George.
1: It's my pleasure, Jared.
0: Now, I read in an article you wrote about relationships for the Brisbane Circle magazine, you talk about the power struggle that occurs after the honeymoon period of a relationship has ended. Can you tell us when does this honeymoon period generally end and what are some real life examples our listeners might have experienced of the power struggles that you speak of?
1: Yeah. Okay. So every relationship I think we can appreciate goes through some form of, of honeymoon. I call it the phase where we're falling into infatuation because it's not falling in love because love is something that we can only work out in many ways whether we have in the relationship after the honeymoon is over. Mm -hmm. So it's a necessary and a lovely phase to go through. You know, one of my few um, no-go policies is that if I have a patient who's in the honeymoon phase and they're madly you know, falling into infatuation with somebody. I actually don't do much psychotherapy on them. Mm. I, let, I let them enjoy it because it's uh, it's a really lovely experience. I, I might just gently remind them that you know there's, that they won't know what kind of a relationship they're in until the honeymoon is over. Hmm. But I'll leave it at that, and I won't go into you know what's going on and so on. Mm. Yeah, so mm. when when how long does it last? When does it end? It, it's incredibly variable, of course, but what's happening psychologically is that the honeymoon ends when we start spending a lot of time together outside of dating or having special time together. So holidays don't count,
0: Mm.
1: but living together definitely counts. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: And so what happens here in our mind, we feel safe enough in the relationship to now relax into ourselves. Mm. So instead of trying to impress our partner, we're now more interested in flipping it and getting our needs met.
0: Hmm.
1: And it's a big flip. When you go from working hard to try and ensure your partner's needs, and they're doing it too, you have this hmm. wonderful... Well, you have this honeymoon, there's this this wonderful, you know, romantic phase. But there's something that happens in our minds and we throw a switch and it, and it's it's surprisingly clear when we do this. You know, it's not too hard for me to get people when they come and see me in the next phase, which is what we call the power struggle phase mm. to, you know, go back and look at when did it happen? And they'll often tell me that it was when they, they moved in together. Mm. Because now what's happening, rather than being on our best behaviour, our partners are seeing us warts and all and they're catching us when we're, you know, really at times when as like, it's almost a normal human state. We, we want to be cared for and supported mm. rather than, giving so it's a we flip from from uh you know wanting we we flip to wanting from giving and of course our partner does a similar thing and so now you have the beginning of what i call the vicious relationship conflict circle Mm -hmm. which is where they start to annoy each other and and then they start to you know give less and the relationship starts to cycle down Mm. A lot of people who don't understand that this is a normal progression think they've fallen out of love. And the point is they weren't in love in the first place. They were in an infatuation. And then they make the dastardly mistake of going and looking for another relationship that's going to be better only to do the whole thing over again. Mm,
0: mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's that age old saying the grass is greener on the side that you water. And uh, look, mate. I think, and, kid, and yeah. And one of the yeah.
1: problems there is that the, the, once the relationship becomes um, more real and you have to start negotiating the differences that are inevitable when you put two capable individuals under the same roof for a lot of time, mm. conflict mm-hmm. is normal. And if you make the dastardly mistake of comparing that existing relationship with a new potential one, the new potential one. Always, always works. Sorry, always looks, always looks more attractive. And 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 you you've got to. It's an it's an incredibly unfair comparison. And and this is what happens mm. with affairs in relationships as well. You know, somebody starts being attracted to this other woman, gets to maybe the you know, goes far enough down the track to become an affair, and then they start comparing in their head this new exciting potential relationship with their wife or partner who's who they're in an existing relationship in a very different stage. Yeah. And that comparison always loses because you're just compare you're not comparing apples with apples. You've got to really compare mm. what's it like, What's it going to be like with this new person after the honeymoon's over. Yep. 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 And that's an impossible comparison in many ways. Mm. And, of course, if you wait long enough to find out, Chances are your wife or partner aren't going to be hanging around long enough for you to get, mm, to, mm, phase, mm. To, get to a comparable, you know, sort of stage in the relationship. Yeah, so it never really works very well. But I, I, mm. I like your little um, saying there. That the but let's
0: let's lie. let's talk about the biggest spanner in the works, which is kids. This is this is a super dad show. We've all cool. got kids that are listening to this. Uh, you know, potentially. Um, yeah. I think that was when my honeymoon period ended. When my sex life had reduced to almost nothing there was the sleepless nights there was yeah. the going to work there was that lack of connection with the partner because all of her focus and energy is going into yep. this brand new little baby and, no, and that's, you, a, you, real, that's yeah.
1: a really good point because if if it sounds like you actually did remarkably well there jared it sounds
0: well, like not you, not necessarily yeah. look i i took myself I to a counselor yeah. at one stage because i had a grass is greener moment myself but i worked through that with my partner
1: but a couple a little bit what i'm saying to you is
0: Mm.
1: you're telling me the honeymoon ended right when children came along
0: okay yeah yeah yeah. what
1: i'm saying is you did very well to keep the honeymoon going for that long
0: (laughs) i I chose no i chose wisely
1: because often it ends well before then Mm. and and so if but often as you've given us a really lovely example of if it lasts long enough to last right up to when you have children mm. that pretty much inevitably brings the honeymoon to an end mm. but mm. you're saying you know biologically women are designed to switch their full focus mm. to these tender new potential lives mm. and and we have to be ready for that we yeah. have to expect that yeah and, and equally we have to negotiate with our partners and and women and i'm often talking to women about this they've also got a some work in to look after that husband. Because, mm. You know, yes, there is that biological drive to attend and focus on the child. Mm. But it gets much worse if they don't keep that relationship with their partner going, and they become mm. a single mother.
0: Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, yeah,
1: so, and, and this is where I, <laughs> one of my favourite sort of pieces of advice here, which is very, very simple. It's not often I can give simple advice, mm. but the most important thing to keep the romance in a relationship after children come along, hmm. the three most important things are babysitters, babysitters and babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> you've got okay, to bring them yes.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I have to agree. You and, dating, and I can tell you, you got to keep dating your wife. Yeah. Yeah. You,
1: you have to, and you've got to do it without the kid. Mm. And, and I get, I get concerned when I've got a couple who will both tell me, oh, no, we can't. We don't want to let anybody else look after our child.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So we're not going to bring in any babysitters. That's, mm. th- there's a big flag right there at two levels. It means their relationship is going to continue to be really strained because they're not going to have any fun together. They're not going to mm. build neural pathways around associating their partner as yeah. having somebody have fun with. They're going to mm. – what, what we're otherwise starting to do and what's happening neurologically as mm. we get to the end of the honeymoon phase into the beginning of the power struggle – Neurologically, we're now starting to build pathways around this person being not just the bringer of fun and good mm. times, but mm. they can also be the bringer of, of problems and, and, and stress for us. Mm. And we've got to continually counterbalance that mm. by having fun with our partner. Mm. So if we don't have babysitters after we have a child, of course, we're not talking about the first couple of months here. We're talking, you know, certainly six months onwards then we aren't going to be nurturing that romantic fun side of our relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: and the second reason why it's so important to bring babysitters in is that you've got to give children the experience of learning to let their parents go, accept support from somebody else, and then have that parent return. It's the development of what we call in psychotherapy object permanence. It's about Mm -hmm. recognizing that my parents can leave and they will come back. And parents who, who, you know, refuse to bring in other carers of their young children do not realize how much they're delaying that very important developmental task. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing about that is that you can bring in babysitters and this is, you've got to put work in to find good ones. I mean, that's, that's absolutely a given. But, you know, we found some really good babysitters for our kids uh, when they were young. And when you get good ones, you'll find, well, you know you've got the good ones because when they arrive, the kids say, yeah, you piss off, I'd rather spend time with with the babysitter. Yeah, yeah. And and now the kids are getting a much richer parenting experience as they get, you know, somebody else who cares about them, you know, giving them a a different kind of
0: perspective. Mm, Yeah. 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 Now, you also note that 68% of differences are unresolved at the time of them arising in a relationship. Now, that's a lot of procrastination over issues that may come back to bite a couple big time in the future. How has this figure arrived at in the first place? And what can we do to manage conflict and differences of opinion in our relationship better?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so the first, answer, the first part answer to that is, this comes from the work of, of John Gottman. Uh, you know, it can be a confusing world out there looking at uh, different authors. There's lots of good people who write in this space, but there's mm. a lot of people who don't really have a lot of genuine clinical experience. And Gottman's a fascinating psychologist because mm. he was an engineer before he became a psychologist. And he did something that nobody had ever done before. And, and it changed the way those of us who've been doing relationship therapy for a long time, several decades like I have, practiced. Because he asked this brilliant question, which was, what do healthy couples do? Nobody had ever asked or let alone studied that question before. We just might have all assumed that healthy couples did the opposite of what unhealthy couples did, <laughs> yeah. and, and we couldn't have been more wrong. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, before I come back to the 68%, one of the most profound things they found was that healthy couples actually don't have much less negative interaction than unhealthy couples. The frequency of negative interaction is almost as high, but the big difference is that they have more fun Hmm. with their partners. Hmm. And, and the second big difference is, is that they don't let the conflict get too out of hand before they rein it in. Hmm. And you rein it in very quickly either by just stopping it and having time out or by turning it around and reconnecting. And, And this is through what he calls, you know, repair attempts, which is when a couple are going down the wrong path, they can see the conflict developing and they want to rein it in and get back on track. Mm. So that's where this data comes from and uh, you know Gottman as I said there's lots of people out there but if you read Gottman's stuff you can go to his website and get a weekly um feed from it uh Gottman is the guru and he you know I so I I'll quite a lot of Gottman's work in my own there's there's others as well but yep. he, he's really good he's really good at telling us what He's really good at telling us the evidence and statistics around what healthy relationships look like. But, yeah, so we have this very interesting finding that two-thirds of problems between couples are unresolved and that's such an important thing to get your head around because we so many of my patients think that there's something wrong in their relationship, that they're having this conflict. Mm-hmm. So often I hear particularly men say, I just want peace. I just want things to go smoothly for a while. And I kind of have to point out to them, well, if you want that, You're gonna have to start approaching things a bit differently. Because Mm -hmm. it's not about the fact that you're going to have arguments, that's inevitable. It's it's all going to be about what you do in response to that argument. And this is the big shift that I have to, I'm continually working with people to make. Because if two-thirds of our differences are unresolvable at the time, and many of them are never unresolvable, that's that's the other thing to Mm -hmm. my wife and I still argue about stuff that we argued about. (laughs) <laughs> Our 30th year anniversary, <laughs> yeah. and and there's stuff that we've argued about for more than 30 years. When we started mm. dating, you know, I'm not mm. going to mention her comment on what I consider to be my exemplary driving, <laughs> <laughs> but it does come up surprisingly after 30 years, and um, and I think we'll be arguing about that until you know one of us is underground. So mm-hmm. the point is that we have to recognise we're going to have these differences, and so it raises the question: Well, what do we do about that? Mm. Don't sit there and complain about them. We have to accept that this is what's, what happens if you put two intelligent people, two capable people, two individuals under a roof. Mm. You're going to have conflict. Yeah. So, what this what this very important statistic takes us to is okay. So conflict's normal. The key is how quickly we reconnect after the conflict. And what Gottman again shows, yeah. yep. Unhealthy, yep. unhealthy couples, couples that are heading for divorce, they take a long time to reconnect. You know, they give each other the silent treatment for, mm. um, God forbid, two or three days, you know, mm. which is just a disaster. Yep. Whereas healthy couples, they recognise that their partner is human, that they're human, that mm. they probably added something to that argument getting out of hand. And they, as quickly as they can, make a repair attempt to try and reconnect.
0: Hmm. Now, George, I mentioned before that uh, I took myself off to a relationship counsellor. Yep. Um, mate, I've got to be in the minority of men there who are willing to open up their relationship um, to a counsellor or psychiatrist or, or psychologist uh, like I did. Um, when should people actually be reaching out to a professional and um, and what do you say to those those men who are listening who are like no they're gonna ruin my relationship they're not gonna fix it
1: well for a start to answer the first part of that when well sooner than you would otherwise would be the answer to that because I can tell you that by the time couples come to see me and certainly psychiatrists aren't the first port of call hmm There's not a lot of psychiatrists who do this work, by the way. Uh, I tend to, when I'm going to conferences, I'm one of the few psychiatrists in the room. They're mostly psychologists. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so typically you'll find yourself in front of a psychologist, but you want to find somebody. It's very important too not to just go and see any psychologist or psychiatrist. You want to find somebody who has clearly got training in couple work because it is very different mm. from normal therapy. Mm. And it's not, a, you know, it's a, in my world of psychiatry, it's an area that very few people have an interest in because it is so complex. Because you're not dealing, it's not twice as complex as dealing with an individual that you might be trying to work with. It's three or four times because you have two individuals with their competing psychological imperatives Plus, you have the unique relationship that's a function of just those two people. And if you put each of them in a different relationship, and I've seen this when I've worked with people over the years, I've seen them in different relationships. Mm -hmm. And each one, the coming together, creates a unique animal. So there's a lot of complexity here. And just on that, you know, I gave up doing relationship therapy probably 20 years ago after I've been doing it for a few years because it was just not working. Mm. And my wife, who's a psychologist, and you know, of course, that's how one of the reasons I think we've managed to survive is that um, we both do relationship therapy and we're often. Mm. As I say to my patients, every, every strategy I'm using, I've road tested. <laughs> and, and if anything, you know, the advantage of having a wife as a psychologist is that we get the importance of the reconnection afterwards. We
0: mm.
1: we don't get too caught up in the fact that we have our differences.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: that's, that's, a, that's, that's, mm. that's such a profound point to get your head around. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, so I gave up doing relationship therapy for a little while there, and, and my wife was struggling as well, and she went to a conference in, on the Gold Coast. I, I was actually looking after the kids that day. I remember it very early. Hmm. And she came out of this, th- this conference at the end of one of the days, you know, really demoralized. I said, you know, what's, what's the matter? And she said, well, look, you know, these Americans who are taking this, this it's more of a workshop than a conference actually, a two-day workshop on, on, on relationship therapy said that you really can't turn a relationship around in anything less than about a year's work and the way psychology is set up you know most people come in and expect to you know see results after Mm -hmm. six to twelve sessions Mm -hmm. and as a result of that she pretty much decided to give up relationship therapy for a while and i that just was a light bulb moment for me because i realized that's what was going wrong here i along with my patients had this mistaken belief that we could turn this oil taker around in a few sessions and you just can't, you know, -hmm. you've got to get two people on board. And I'd say the first couple of months of my work is often getting both parties on board. There's always one that promotes coming into therapy and it's not always the woman either. You know, (laughs) I see quite a few blokes who've come to see me because the woman says you're crazy. You need to go and get help. Yep. And they, they actually finally, out of desperation, come and see me. Hmm. And then an interesting thing happens as I start to work with them and teach them the sort of stuff we're talking about here today, they start to shift and change. And then all of a sudden, their wife starts saying to them, you know, maybe you should stop seeing that psychiatrist. You know, maybe you're not, not so crazy as kind of the place. But of course, what I'm trying to do is often get the partner in. Mm. Um, And you can do relationship therapy with one half of a relationship, but it's tricky, slow work. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If you can get them both in and get them both to engage, then things go much, much more quickly.
0: Mm. So Uh, what strategies do you use personally yourself uh, with your partner to ensure that your marriage remains healthy? I mean, you, you spoke about obviously, um, very quickly dealing with the with the conflict and reconnecting with that fun and you know getting the babysitters yep. in and everything like yep. that and you 've got kids of your own you, you know what the stresses are of, of kids on a relationship and you know money challenges, which is a big one yep. you know it, talk to us about that i mean what are what are the strategies you use yourself
1: okay so let's let 's talk about a very practical one that I will speak to about speak to with every couple that i I, I, I work with. Hmm. And that is having a date night. You know, for all of the reasons you just said, all of these stresses that exist on a relationship, if you don't have fun, and this goes right back to what I was saying earlier about mm-hmm. Gottman's work, you're going to just build neural pathways when you look at your partner, you're going to think she's a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to make sure we're having fun on a regular basis. And that means once a week, we've got to go out and just have a date, the two of us, no kids and nobody else.
0: Once a week, eh? Well,
1: I'll let people get down to once a fortnight, particularly if you've got young kids and, you know, you're busy. I'll go to once a fortnight. But below once a fortnight, it's not going to really have much impact.
0: Mm, mm, And mm.
1: on top of that, once every month or two, Mm. that couple have got to be getting away and having some fun, you know, maybe an overnight Weekend away, or, mm. or going into you know getting someone to look after the kids for a night and booking a, a hotel and, mm. and just having one night, you know, an extended time with It's all about, as I said earlier, we've got to literally build neural pathways in our mind. Mm. It comes out of all this neuroplasticity research, which is you know changing the way in which we understand. Mm. Biology, mm. You know. Yeah, and and we've got to be having fun with them, and yeah. so you've so you've got to schedule that, and mm. so. The, When I get a couple and we start to talk about this, I can see many of them are resistant to the idea of scheduling it. They want it to be spontaneous, like sex. And I've got to tell you, organising to have sex spontaneously when you've got two people who want to do (laughs) it, when you've got children, financial pressures, busy jobs, often both Mm -hmm. partners working part or full time, you're going to wait until both of you spontaneously want to have sex. You ain't having sex. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs)
1: and yeah. so in just the same way you've got to schedule it and mm. and you've got to schedule date date nights or fun nights whatever you want to call
0: mm. now, a
1: couple of rules about date nights or they can yeah. of course be lunch yep. on the weekend it doesn't have to be a night time mm. so
0: just, are you are you finding that these date nights uh, you know immediately affect uh couples who have had a dry period in their sex life
1: <laughs> Look, it won't solve the sex life side of things. We often have to deal with that directly, right, but it starts to set the shift up in the relationship for yeah. it, and sometimes, yes, it does there there's more not infrequently, the wife will say to me look, I actually feel much more like sex after mm. we've had a romantic night out. Or it doesn't have to be that romantic. You know, often for a married couple with kids and <coughs> just mm. a night out where nobody's, you know, cooking or washing mm. it, it, it is the equivalent of romantic, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. But is, there a, of, is there a prevalence of sexual intimacy or, or simply, you know, intimacy that is healthy in a relationship? Um. A frequency? Yeah, it's always a
1: loaded question. But <laughs> here's, here's the answer at one level. The answer at one level is that you've got to be having sex regularly. Now, for some couples, that's you know two, three times a week, which is kind of the national average, or it could just be once a week, or it could be once a month if they're both happy with that. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be regularly. The moment you let sex slide, and it and and we're no longer working on having it as a part of the relationship, you just build a you're you're starting to build a friendship.
0: Mm.
1: not a marriage or an intimate relationship. Mm. Sex sex is what separates a friendship from an intimate, you know, relationship. So you've got to put work into keeping it going. And that's, you know, that's a whole other, we we could probably do a whole other session on, you know, the the sex life aspects of relationships. Mm.
0: Oh, I'll hitch up to that.
1: <laughs> the, the comment I want to come back well, it's because sex therapy is a big part of relationship therapy. Mm. Relationship therapist, you're a sex therapist as well, well most mm. of the time. Um, but, but just going back to date nights, there's a couple of rules that have got to be considered that, you, that otherwise it won't work. So, number one, on date nights, you cannot talk about any conflicted issues, mm-hmm. not okay. talk about problems with your partner. And all, all, all issues that you and your partner typically have different opinions about, which could be disciplining the children, for example. So on a date night, if, and if you don't know what to talk about, and I've got to tell you, a lot of couples who come to see me, and again, if they've come to see me a bit late down the track, put them both together on a date night, and they're actually quite uncomfortable. Mm. Because they actually haven't done anything like this sometimes for years. Mm. Mm. And so I have to really work with them to get back into allowing the partner to be a part of potential fun in their mind. Mm. And so it's really important that we make it a no go zone for any points of conflict. And the couples mm-hmm. don't know what to talk about. I say, well, what you're going to talk about is planning your next weekend away, your next holiday, or at least your next date night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now look, I've, I've got to thank you uh, for joining me on this podcast, you know, right now because number one, I'm thinking of a dad who I've become very close to who. Is having a lot of um, intimacy relationships, uh, sorry, intimacy problems in his relationship, which has broken down his marriage. And I'm also thinking about a dad who just sent me a picture this morning of him and his wife uh, out having a date night and enjoying each other's company again um, after separating. So, you know, I, I love what you're bringing up here. It's absolutely fantastic. So thank you.
1: Well, one of the sad things about um, my work is that often I have to get people to separate before they really appreciate what I'm talking about. And the need. Mm. We often have to invoke what we call a therapeutic separation because we need to do it, A, to take the heat out of it, particularly if couples are really going going at each other on it. Their, their, their vicious relationship conflict circle is really out of control. Mm. And often when you get them to separate and they get some distance and you take that out, and, and in a therapeutic separation, you maintain your fidelity, you remain faithful to your partner, you keep the finances the same, you have as much access to the kids mm. as you want. Mm. It's really just about getting people out of the house and stopping them from just trying to kill each other continually. Mm. And, and, and it's surprising how often, not all the time, sometimes it really clarifies that they're, that they're mm. better off going their separate ways. Mm. And, and, and if that's the case, you want to know that. You know, mm. you made the earlier comment that sometimes people have a fear about seeing a therapist and and breaking up the relationship. And, you know, we only, that only happens if we've tried everything we can and it doesn't work and if, mm. and if couples give it their best shot to what we call make the match because, you know, that's all it is. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's just about making the match. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't and sometimes you are better off moving on, in which case a relationship therapist is really helpful but making sure you do it in a way that minimizes the hurt and pain for both individuals and any children.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you wrote that all of us are wounded as children in some way, whether we have good, bad, or indifferent parenting. Can you explain what you mean by this?
1: Yeah. No one escapes the battleground of childhood without a wound. Hmm. Undercaring parents can leave us with wounds just as over-caring helicopter parents do. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and and if you get it right in one area, you're going to get it wrong in another area, and that's important for us to remember as parents. I think that was, you know, getting the, my head around that when I was a parent of two young kids mm-hmm. was really important for me. Because and in the psychotherapeutic literature, when 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 this stuff is written about, mm-hmm. talk about being the good enough parent. Now, a good enough parent is one that isn't doesn't doesn't always get it right. The good enough parent is the one who gets it right. If we're lucky, eighty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. The good enough parent, when they get it wrong and they work, realize later on they got it wrong. Goes and apologizes to their kids and say, "Sorry, I was too harsh." Or, mm, "Great, oh, I shouldn't have done
0: that." Yeah, that's yeah. what
1: good enough parents
0: do. Well, that's um, that's what I mean by growth mindset. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's that's great. great.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. But even with doing all of that and with being a good enough parent, well, being a good enough parent, you're going to fail your kids at certain points. Hmm. And, you know, that means that we've got to recognize they'll have wounds and that we're going to be sometimes responsible for those Mm wounds. And it's really important that we take responsibility for that. Now, that takes a big person generally in life at any level to take responsibility for their shortcomings. Yeah. But when we can tell our kids, you know, look, I screwed up there, it's really profound because kids beat themselves up themselves when they get things wrong. And when they can see that the godlike figure of their their, their mother or father, Mm can admit that they made a mistake and it's not the end of the world and you know, you you learn from mistakes rather than beat yourself up from them, mm. then you're giving your kids a really powerful lesson as well. This work uh, on our wounds and how they play out in our relationships comes from a different author. Now we're talking about the work of Harville Hendrix. He wrote a wonderful book um, How to Get the Love You Want. It's a bit of a crappy title but it, it's actually a really beautifully written book. It's, it mm. deals with these complexities around how we we get wounded and we play that out unconsciously in our relationships for those listeners who, you know, really want to go deeper into this stuff. Mm -hmm. Harville Hendricks uh, really gives us a a really clear elucidation of of how it all works. And you can actually get his book. I I order them in bulk from the book depository because you can't get it uh, online unfortunately. And the book depository delivers it. You can't even get it on, on Amazon, but the book depository delivers to Australia for free. And I don't get anything for saying that. So Hubble Hendricks, yeah, and and understanding wounds. And, yeah, so then in our adult relationships, we're, we're, mm. we're trying to heal ourselves. It's, mm, it's mm. what we're doing as human beings and yeah. looking for our partners to heal us. And, and if we don't understand that, we will put more onto them than they deserve, and then we will get annoyed with them when they don't do it. Mm, mm, so we 've mm. got to understand this unconscious wounding stuff if we really want to make sense of why our partner is pissing off pissing us off so much
0: mm. now i um, I actually asked some dads uh, in my group for questions and one in particular um, i'm going to read out exactly what he's written here since my recent relationship breakdown i spent a lot of time talking to my ex and resolving issues with her with a view to reconciliation and things are really looking good but she faces a lot of negativity from her parents and friends on the topic of me how do I go about trying to repair these issues when no one will even give me the time of day to even discuss the pending issues with them?
1: Yeah, look, that that doesn't come up very often in when I'm being interviewed about this stuff, and it's a really important. <laughs> I'm really glad you've raised it because this happens all the time, mm. and it, and what it speaks to is how careful we have to be when we're going through a problematic time in our relationship Mm -hmm. and then if we separate let alone divorce um, but certainly until where you know well I I think it (laughs) there's no point at which you can really afford to put your partner down to everybody because this is you know really important with children as well but Mm. it's back up so what happens is people need to talk when they go through a difficult time and they typically talk to friends and family yeah and then they reconcile with their partner but what they've done with their friends and family is only told them about the very worst of their partner. Often they feel they've got to, to illustrate why they're not the cause of the relationship breakup. They often tell their friends and family about the most horrible thing that their partners have done to them mm-hmm. and leave out the things they did to their partner that often often trigger their partner to do it <laughs> in the yeah, first place. Yeah, yeah. And so their friends and family get this really distorted view of just how horrible this person is. And to unwind that is really difficult. Mm. So One of the things I will say to people, I'll say, look, yes, you need to talk to people, but look, pick one family member and one who preferably doesn't talk too much to the rest of the family Mm. and pick one good friend and talk to them because you can manage that when you get to this point, which often, as I said before, you do separation is often the way in which we work out. Yeah. We really, you know, value our partner more than we thought we did when we were in the thick of it. Mm. Mm. And so, yeah, look, I really feel for your dad because he's got a problem here. Now, what do we do about it? She is going to be the main one to fix it. He can't because yeah. she she set the context up for this problem and mm. only she can undo it. So mm. she needs to go back to her parents in particular and to you know, maybe you know, some friends and say, look, you know, when I told you about our problems, I really overplayed, as we all do, you know, his role and and my contribution to it, or underplayed my contribution to it. Mm. And, you know, we're actually, you know, and and when you say that to people, we're all, one thing that I think we all get pretty quickly is anything that just relates to being human, which is (laughs) making mistakes, screwing up, Mm. it is so human. Mm. And if we can just be vulnerable and she needs to be vulnerable here and say, look, you know, I was contributing to some of those problems. Mm. I was doing mean things to him as we do. Yep. And, and we're actually, you know, we're having really meaningful working through of that now. Mm. And I'd really like you to give him a second chance because yep. he's important to me.
0: Mm.
1: And but he can't, you know, she's got to lead that charge. He, he's, he's, of course, got to back it up by mm. you know, not screwing up and not doing anything else in the yep. end mm. of times to, you know, look like he's um, still some kind of, you know, mean guy. Yeah, yeah. When we're trying to undo this problematic space that, that your dad finds himself in, she has to lead that charge He's got to back it up. He's got to be on his best behavior. This is not a time when she's trying to tell her parents or friends, you know, look, he's working really hard. We've all made mistakes. Mm. And I'm really pleased to be having the opportunity to try and work through this and see if we can make a go of it. Mm. Mm. Because this all goes back to that very, you know, interesting finding that you touched on in the the introduction, that when you come back and look at couples who've, who've divorced, you know, they're not that happy down the track. Mm. It, it's as you touched on, it's because divorce brings it when there's, particularly when the children involved, mm. there's no children involved. It's actually a very different state of affairs. And I tend not to work or push couples as much to stay together. If I think they've got, you know, irreconcilable differences and there's no.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And equally,
1: just on that equally, we don't get people just to stay together for the children either, particularly when you've got parents who are very unhappy in their relationship mm. or if there's overt conflict and particularly if there's overt aggression. Mm. To stay in that relationship models to the children that we put up with shitty relationships. And that is a really problematic teaching. We do not want to give to our, our, our children. And, of course, we'd be giving it to them in the most powerful way of all, which is modelling. Modelling, of course, is much more powerful when it, it's the most powerful way we impart messages to our children. Yeah. Mm. That has much greater weight than what we say. Yeah. And so if we like to, if we think we can get away with, you know, do as I say, not as I do, forget it just mm. kids are the first you know, people to see through that argument.
0: Mm.
1: So yeah, we don't keep people together just for the kids. Yeah. When they're going to be happier out of the relationship.
0: Mm now you I know that you work with a lot of people with addictions as well and it's got to be a big thing that comes up in relationships the breakdown or how people deal with the breakdown of a relationship as well I have another question here um, it is a dad saying I have an addictive personality and find anything I enjoy quickly becomes an obsession and I hope focus on whatever it is putting the rest of my life on hold for my current obsession how do i go about stopping or controlling the obsession and trying to keep a normal healthy relationship with whatever it is
1: yeah um uh, i can tell you and i, I appreciate that dad's honesty who mm. and, and you know he's being very vulnerable in, in saying that and addiction and addictive personalities are way more common than people like to admit
0: mm-hmm. i don't
1: know what the figure is but my guess is that you know of people have got major addictive personalities and and problems with one substance or sex or something. Uh, And probably 30, 40% of the population has some milder degree of addictiveness going on. And, you see, I see addictiveness as a symptom of deeper issues. So the way I treat that is through, you know, basically this is psychotherapy. It's working out why we're doing what we're doing. What are the deeper drivers of this? Because my background in the addictions comes from food addiction, not so much substance addiction. I'm treating people around that, but mm-hmm. but interestingly, all of the stuff I wrote about in my first book about food addictions, I got from the addiction literature. What was unusual about my book in many ways, because it, it was the first book that took a lot of that addiction research, which is very deep, hmm. and, ther- and therapeutic strategies, which, is, which are very good. And I brought it across and, and looked at why people overeat and, and, and how they then self-sabotage themselves when they try to stop overeating, which is where the addiction literature is very good. So, look, the short answer to your, your dad's question there is he really needs to get some psychotherapy. He needs to work with somebody to dismantle those underlying drivers of that addiction. Mm-hmm. It will play out in many areas of his life,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: just relationships. I think he's, he's very insightfully making that clear. Yep, It'll play out with addictions to different alcohol and different substances. Mm-hmm. And it will play out in relationships and it, 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 it just...
0: Is oh, it, look, he's he's turned into a gym junkie um, instead of, you know, doing drugs. So well, Yeah, and, and that's not a
1: bad solution. That's not a bad solution is to try and turn it into something at the healthier end of the spectrum. Yeah, But it's still only a Band-Aid. You're not dealing mm. with the underlying drivers of that. Now, mm. sometimes we just have addictive personalities. They're, they're genetically inherited. We know that's particularly true with alcohol. But a lot of the times we're actually using substances, using things from sex to you know exercise through to the more traditional substances mm-hmm. as a way of dealing with a need to self-soothe. Yeah. And that's the crux of the issue. Yeah. What are we self-soothing? Is there a better way to do it? And that's so, what I mean by looking at the underlying drivers. Awesome.
0: That's part one of the Super Dad Show, episode 20 with Dr. George Blair West on relationships. Go to part two to hear what he says about parenting. Whether you're a dad or not, if you listen to the show and you love what you heard, please go to www.patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash superdads online and sign up as a patron for just $5. In exchange, I will send you a coupon code to use in our SuperFamiliesOnline.com merchandise store, and you can get $5 off your first purchase and order a super dad, Mum, kid, or teen t-shirt and other merchandise. Thanks for listening.